Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's time for Leading Women in Tech. I'm your host, Tony Collis. I'm so thrilled to have you here as I am with every single episode. Let me start with a little update on what's been going on around here. Well, I don't know if you can tell. I can tell, but maybe other people can't. I lost my voice last week, which never happens. Never happens to me at all. So that's kind of thrown me sideways a little bit. Uh, as part of that, being just quite tired. And I tell you this because I think sometimes it's a good reminder for us all to slow down. I have deliberately slowed down in the last week. I've cancelled things, which is really, really hard for me to do. I hate cancelling stuff. But I've cancelled things. I have made the conscious decision to not make any business decisions. Because uh, my husband pointed out to me this morning, he's like, you're not good at making decisions at the moment. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I don't make good decisions when I'm under the weather and I'm still a little bit under the weather. Like I'm getting back but I'm just more tired than normal. And so I'm just doing the stuff that lights me up. I'm doing my coaching and recording this podcast and I'm just really dialing back. And I share this with you because I want you to give yourself permission to do this from time to time. Uh, my coach is the one that actually pointed this out to me. She said to me a few years ago, she's like, I do not buy things when I'm sick because <laughs> there was a time when she was really, really ill and it was the middle of the night. It was a really hot summer. Uh, she lives in England, and so aircon is not common in the UK. Um, certainly in England, where she is, and it gets hot, and there's no aircon. And it was the middle of the night, and she couldn't sleep. And so she had this huge, big aircon unit that wouldn't even work when it turned up, and there was no returns policy. And she was like, that was an expensive thing to do when you're sick. So she now has a policy with herself to not buy things when she's ill. I have a policy with myself to not make big decisions when I'm ill, because I know that my decision-making capabilities is one of my strengths. I am very good at making decisions, timely decisions, moving things forward in my business. It's one of the things I coach around is how to deal with, like, I need to make a decision and I don't feel comfortable because it's one of the things I feel like I'm good at. And yet, when I'm ill, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> or rather, I still behave as if I'm good at making decisions. I still make decisions, but the decisions are terrible. <laughs> so... I have a rule with myself that when I'm ill, I don't make decisions. At least I only make decisions if I pass them by a colleague or my husband, if it's a household thing. I don't make big decisions on my own when I'm sick. So, I, and by sick, I mean like right now, I'm just still recovering. I'm sleeping a lot. I've not slept this much in a very long time. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on with me. If it continues. I will go get checked out. Do not worry. But there's something, there's something still off. It's not just losing my voice. There is something definitely off. And so I'm just aware my cognitive abilities are a little bit low. So I want you to give yourself permission as we go into fall, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere at least. And, you know, illness comes and goes at this time of year. Uh, kids are going back to school. They bring stuff home. Give yourself permission to slow down. Give yourself permission to dial back on the things that are really challenging to you. Do the things that light you up, but dial back on the rest of it. And please do take time off. So I just wanted to share that with you, a little insider there to how I actually nurture myself. Oh, the other thing I've had to really remind myself to do actually while I've been sick is all self-care. I feel like it's so easy to not do the self-care when you're ill, but I've doubled down my journaling. Journaling is one of the things I know the theory. It's such a good idea. I tell everybody to do it. I don't always do it the best myself, but I double down on the journaling. I double down on the mindset work and I'm just allowing myself to be. Uh, I think that is so incredibly important. So make sure if you are slowing down because you're not 100%, 
double down on the self-care. So important. That doesn't mean go to the gym if you're sick, but <laughs> that is a form of self-care, but give your body the respite it needs. Do the self-care that is going to give your body respite. But let's get on to today's topic because it's a topic I've had in my list for a while. And I'm so glad we're finally getting around to it. You might be surprised to hear that because I want to talk about, does it have to be lonely at the top? <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> I hear this from so many of the women I work with and certainly I have experienced it being lonely at the top myself. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. As we step up in our careers, many of us leave behind previous peers and friends, in fact. I was actually having a conversation just with a peer of mine a few weeks ago, and we both talked about that as entrepreneurs, obviously different from what you are as a leader, potentially, unless you're also an entrepreneur, as entrepreneurs, we've lost many of our friends along the way. Our friends don't understand the journey we're on. And I hear that from the clients I have, the women I work with, many of them lose, not all of them, but many of them, some of their friends just don't get how driven and ambitious they are. They don't get that it's really important for them to return to work and to not be 100% mom time all the time. And so I think this is a conversation we need to have. How it is lonely and what do we need to do about that? Does it need to be lonely? What does that mean for us? Because being lonely is not good for a human being. A couple of episodes ago, I talked about how to effectively transition from being a peer to being a boss. And it bears repeating here because that shift, being a peer and then being a boss, creates that set of challenges and transformations where loneliness can come from. You go from being surrounded by people who are supporting you and working with you to a necessary distance. Many of us, myself included, can get this wrong, by the way. We need to know how to strike that delicate balance between asserting authority and maintaining camaraderie, between being caring but still in a position of power without giving our power away. That isn't, you're going to be an asshole, excuse my language, with that power, but we don't want to give our power away. And I'm certainly someone who's made that mistake. I've tried to be too friendly with those I manage, giving them the mistaken idea that they, not me, not I, are the one making the decisions, going full circle to what I talked about at the beginning of the show. I'm good at making decisions. It's one of my strengths. I'm good at moving things forward, taking the data and making a decision, making rapid decisions when it's necessary. But I've tried too hard in my past to be a people pleaser and allow everybody else to have their say, to make them think that they're the ones making the decisions. When really, although I am a big believer in delegating decision-making, huge believer in that, I'm not saying you shouldn't delegate decision-making, but that's a clear delegation of responsibility. You're delegating the decision. You've got to own the decision the person brings to you. What I'm talking about is when we're not delegating, but we're just giving away our power when we shouldn't. That decision really should stay with us, but we give the mistaken idea that they get to make that decision. Uh, a lot of the time it's the people pleaser. Certainly with me, it was the people pleaser. I wanted people to feel involved. I was scared of being alone. I was scared of them not liking me. I was afraid of 
not being in the in crowd, although I've never been in the in crowd, so I don't know why that's a fear. <laughs> My entire life, I've been awkward and weird <laughs> and not one of the, not one of the cool kids and never fitted into a clique. I didn't even fit into the geek clique at school. I was like, not a geek, although the non-geeks thought I was. And I was definitely not one of the cool kids at all. I was just like on my own. <laughs> so I don't know why I've had such a need to fit in. Maybe it was because of that, because I've never fitted in. And so when I first became a senior leader, I tried to make everybody feel included in a way that meant I was giving away my power rather than making them feel included because they actually have valuable things to say, but making it clear the decision is mine because the business needs me to make the decision. And if I give away the decision to them, that's bad for business. I've also experienced the bosses who gossip. This is another way this people-pleasing manifests. So I've not done this myself, or at least I'm not aware of it, probably have done, because I suspect we all do all of these things. I just know that I'm the super friendly person too much. That's my weakness. But I've seen bosses who gossip with colleagues. And with the benefit of hindsight, I think this is very much a similar issue. It was, it, there's a particular individual I'm thinking of who did it a lot, but I've seen this many, many times. This particular person, it was definitely a need to be liked, a need to be acknowledged and included. This person was a very senior leader, but when they were in a one-to-one -one situation, they needed to connect to a more emotional level. And so gossip, whether they liked it or not, but we all do gossip, by the way, provided that for them. Uh, and I think this is where it really comes to this idea of being lonely at the top. It's that fear, actually, that I think is part of being lonely at the top. It's about feeling isolated as you take on more responsibilities and move into higher roles. As you climb the career ladder, the relationships you had earlier on must change for you to succeed. Promotions can bring tension, shift dynamics, affecting how you connected with people that you've worked with previously as a peer. But you're also going to be finding, whether it's a promotion or a new job somewhere else, that there's more tension in your role. You're making uncomfortable decisions for the business. That's going to affect how you connect with others. You're also going to find, that I think this is where people get really lonely. And by the way, I'm going to talk about how to not be lonely in a minute before you get like, oh my God, this sounds awful. <laughs> but I think one of the ways that many of us get very lonely is discussing every decision with our superior early in our career. We've got this sounding board. We throw ideas at them. They throw them back. If we've got a great one, they mentor and nurture us as we make these decisions and really allow us to fully understand the problem we're solving. As we move up, our boss, one, doesn't have time for that and two, doesn't have the expertise for that. In fact, I would say this is the number one reason that people get coaching as leaders because you no longer have a boss that has the time to throw ideas around with you. No longer have a boss with the expertise to throw ideas around with you. Now, a coach doesn't either. But what a coach does is create that space for you to do it yourself. Your boss does not have the time for that. Equally, your peers, earlier in your, in your career, your peers are your co-experts in your field. But now they are running different departments, departments you know nothing about. You and your peers are peers, but you've never done each other's jobs. You've never even done the job of people your peers manage. So suddenly you can't run to your peer and be like, hey, so I've got this sticky issue. I really cheer it over with you. That peer doesn't know anything about what you do and cannot contribute to solving that problem. Suddenly, you are the one responsible for your team, their outputs, your section of work in the company. There's no technical expert to turn to other than your team. And your team is not you. You've been put into that position 
because you know something they don't. Sometimes your team is more technical than you are. That's very common, actually. Um, you should actually, at some points in your career, get to the point where you are managing people. You have no idea what to do. <laughs> if you were given their job, you would be like, oh, hell no, don't know how to do this. That should happen at some point in your career if you go up high enough. But what those people do have that's a problem, they've got technical expertise, but it's very, very narrow. Your job is to bring all that narrow expertise together and provide that holistic overview. And only you can do that. So it's very common for you to feel like you're the only one in the company. You're the only one that can do the work that you do because you probably are. And when you get to this point, it can be incredibly daunting, especially the first time around. You likely will also find that your boss gets frustrated with you because you're trying to have conversations with them that they don't have the time or the knowledge to chew over everything that you need to chew through with them. They appear to no longer care about your career or your professional development. Early in our career, a great boss nurtures you, opens doors, works on your professional development plan, co-writes it with you, and more. Later on in your career, you'll be lucky to have a boss that has any time for you in the form of creative conversations. You do occasionally get them, but they're few and far between. That doesn't make them bad or wrong. It is just the reality of the job. At that point in your career, it is expected that you are both capable and willing to forge your own path. You know how to manage your career. You know how to network. You know how to get mentors that are going to help you with where you want to go. It's not your boss's job anymore. Your boss is there to make sure you do your job, to make sure that you have the information you need to do your job. Your boss is not there to grow you. They will grow you. And a great boss coaches you. That's one of the things I train leaders to do is to learn how to coach so that at this higher level, when your team doesn't do things that you understand, you can't provide that back and forth information anymore except you're coaching them. But if you as an individual don't realize that this is what's going on, you may well just be lonely, still seeking constant validation for the work you do. And it's going to slow down your career growth when you sit in this space of I'm lonely and miserable and nobody tells me I'm doing a good job. You'll be struggling to make decisions because you don't have a sounding board. Or maybe you inappropriately use your team, as I did, as a sounding board for things they really shouldn't be involved in. Or you give them too much control until you wake up one day realizing your team doesn't respect you or do what you ask because you've given them this perception that they don't need to ask. The feeling of loneliness for leaders often comes from a mixture of reasons. It's about how the responsibilities have changed in our leadership, making us stand apart from our peers, balancing maintaining professional relationships with asserting your authority. That can become really tricky. One part of this loneliness comes from the pressure to make tough decisions that might not align with what everyone wants. The weight of driving your team's success and the organization's growth can also feel incredibly isolating. This is a close look at why leaders sometimes feel alone in their roles. And this sense of loneliness shows up in many different ways. It's about how interactions with former peers change when you become a leader, the power dynamics shift, and that can create a sense of distance or formality. Also, the emotional toll of making big decisions and being responsible for the team's success can feel incredibly lonely. The pressure to deliver results, even if it means making unpopular choices, can amplify this feeling. Forming genuine connections can be tough because of the perception of power. These are the various aspects that contribute to that loneliness. Another less commonly acknowledged issue with it being lonely at the top is what happens in our personal lives. I've already hinted at this a little bit. Many, many women I've spoken to, and definitely, as I mentioned before, I've included myself in this, have found that our friends might not keep up with us. Sadly, some of your personal friends 
won't want to stay along for the journey with you. And you may lose friends along the way, even if you aren't friends with them because of work. If you're moving into the realm of being this high flyer, some of your friends who you've had from early in your career or even when from school won't be ready for this version of you. They're not going to be ready for the ambitious, driven version of you. The one that thinks big and talks big because it is going to seep into how you operate in every aspect of your life. What you care about and what they care about are going to diverge. So sometimes we lose these friendships, adding to that loneliness that can come with a leadership role. Now, I don't want you to freak out like, oh my God, I can't become a leader because my friends aren't going to join me in this. Not every friend is going to be like this, but I have seen this happen and there's nothing you can do to control it. Because if you're ambitious and driven, this is going to happen anyway, even if you don't take those senior roles. It is part of your internal makeup. It's who you are. And actually, I've talked on the show before about that ambition gap between where you are and where you want to be. And if you hold yourself back because you're fearful of being lonely at the top, you're adding to that ambition gap. And when you've got that ambition gap, as we talked about before, it's stress, it causes burnout. That can cause a loss of friendships too. So actually, not fulfilling your ambition because of fear about how lonely it's going to be, it's going to make the situation worse. Oh, sticky situation. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Okay, we're going to get to this good bit now. I want you instead to recognize how the support and friendships you have and the support and friendships you need are going to evolve. I want to make sure that you have that support in place. You are not the person you were 20 years ago. Your friendships and the support you need now is different from what you needed 20 years ago. I think one of the mistakes we make is thinking that everything outside of how we operate, like we grow technically, we grow as leaders, and we think the rest of our lives stay the same. They don't. We are one human and the whole of us evolves. So this idea that everything outside your work stays the same is you kidding yourself, my love. The first and biggest one I want to mention to you is just getting practical guidance, coaching and mentorship. As your informal support of peers and bosses dwindles in your career, where you've had those bosses and the peers that really support you, hold you, allow you to chew through problems with them, they are going to disappear. You've got to make an active effort to replace that. You now have to go out and seek it. It's not going to be there on a plate. It's something that you now have to find and nurture and work for. So it's the natural one's going to go away because you are at a different level. And you have to go and find it. So hire a coach. <laughs> Come work with me and my team. We're amazing. <laughs> Build a couple of informal mentoring relationships. You know I'm a big believer in having both a coach and a mentor. I do believe that at a certain level, your mentoring relationships are very informal. You buy them a coffee once a quarter and pick their brain about some of the challenges. It's not like a very formal once a week meet with them and all that kind of stuff. It becomes a lot less formal, but it's a way of getting that feedback that you need for how to up-level in your kind of role. Your boss is almost certainly not your mentor, right? <laughs> Sometimes our bosses can help us in terms of navigating how to land the next level up in that company, but their scope is going to be very, very narrow. So I would advocate getting mentors outside your organization, doing things, being the person you want to be in five or 10 years time. Being mindful of who you confide in is also crucial. I think this is one of the big things we have to learn and how we evolve. When we're earlier in our careers, we don't really think about this very much. What you need to understand about being politically savvy and executive presence is that you have to share certain things with certain people and not others. You need to navigate that really mindfully. Which brings me to action number two. Be mindful about who you talk to. We all love to gossip a little. <laughs> 
So I say that and I internally cringe because I think gossip is horrific. I think it can be very unpleasant and very nasty. But humans gossip is actually how we create friendships. Not all gossip in the psychologist sense of the word is negative. It's just a lot of what we see at work is not nice gossip. So here's the thing. You have this intrinsic need to share things about other humans because that creates a connection with the human in front of you. That's why humans gossip is about connection building. You've got to be mindful about this. You've heard me talk about this before in the show. I talk about it all the time in my programs. Executive presence requires you do not engage in gossip. If you hear gossip, you shut it down. It doesn't make you desirable. And as a, a boss, it's incredibly dangerous. In the same way that you probably don't share with your best friend when another close friend of the two of you has done something that she's asked you to keep confidential. You don't go and immediately tell your best friend. You have the wherewithal and the mindfulness to be like, no, no, our mutual best friend doesn't need to know that because I've been asked to keep it confidential. And, you know, something that your partner tells you, you're not going to go and just shout it out to the entire world, right? You need to be mindful about how you do this at work too. You can share something about work with a friend who doesn't have anything to do with your work doesn't know any of your colleagues, isn't in your industry. So if you need a rant about a work colleague, do it to somebody who is completely away from your work. Rant to a spouse or a partner, provided that they're not in your area of work. <laughs> if you rant to a spouse or partner who works in your industry, be very, very cautious of that. My husband and I, we did work in the same company for a while. Um, we were both aware that when we ranted about a particular person, it changed the dynamic of the relationship between the other one of us and that person as well, even when we didn't intend to. So we got better at being like, hey, I, I need a rant about something at work, but it's not something that's really, really bad. So I'm just going to go rant to somebody else who doesn't know anything about work. It just made me much more mindful because the people you rant to, they are going to have a bad perception. I've got a very dear friend of mine and she complains to me about her husband all the time. <laughs> all the time. It's all she does. And honestly, if I didn't know him, I think he was a complete asshole. <laughs> Because I, I think she doesn't have a filter with me. She feels completely safe, which is lovely and beautiful. And I'm so glad I can provide that space for her. But her ranting at me has completely changed my perception of her husband. And imagine if you're doing that to colleagues, right? You're not actually as pissed off as you're sounding. You're just getting this off your chest. But they're like, oh my God, that guy over there. Oh, can't work with him. Terrible human being. Like, shouldn't be allowed on this planet. So just be really mindful about who you run to. The key here is that being mindful. Nothing work-related should be talked about at work, right? Unless it's like, has to be dealt with. If you need to share it, share it outside work and make sure you do it in such a way that you aren't giving away secrets that you shouldn't be sharing about the work you're doing. My third tip is all about seeking peer networks. And this is really the bit where you can step away from the loneliness. So the other two are about how you operate. Um, getting coach, having a mentor or five, <laughs> but very informal. So you're solving the problems and then how you operate in terms of building relationships outside of work that allow you to do that gossip, if we will. But the third tip is about building professional networks with people in your type of role outside your organization or join a women in tech network. One of the reasons why we have a community as part of my leadership program, for example, is precisely this. Many of these women are very lonely. They don't know other women in tech. And even though we have women across all aspects of tech, from marketing, sales, engineering, finance, legal, we've got women across every aspect. They just all work in tech. 
it's incredibly valuable to them. It's surprising how having women, whether they're all directors or they're all VPs or they're all C-level, coming together, that camaraderie that they have of that shared experience of being a woman in tech, allows, let some of that loneliness go. So they have a different relationship with those women than they do with their peers at work, than they do with their, you know, any of their colleagues in the workplace. And it's about replacing some of the stuff you had earlier in your career with something different today. And then finally, number one, have a life outside of work. Have engaging hobbies, have friends and family you hang out with. And even if you're like me, and I struggle with this one as an extreme introvert and somebody who loves what she does, I would do this 24-7 if I, one, had the energy, and two, I knew it was a good idea. It's a terrible idea to do this 24-7. <laughs> I have to make myself to do something other than work. I don't want to. This is my hobby. I've built a business around my hobby. Um, and that's actually quite dangerous. But also beautiful. I'm just going to say that. It's amazing that I get to do this every day. But it's dangerous because it's potentially all I would do if I didn't know the importance of having a life outside of work. The extreme introvert in me struggles with going out and doing things with other people. But it's really, really important. Have those relationships. I have an amazing relationship just with the lady who does my nails. Like she just, we just have actually quite a lot in common. We've both got fathers who are very ill with dementia and we both live in this area and it's just so different from my work conversations. I never expected that from, from her at all. I've never found somebody like her before in my life who was so different from me that I really connected with. And that's what being one of my challenges in my life is I struggle to connect with people who aren't like me. Oh, now you're going to be like, so how do you coach? <laughs> you're all like me. You're all women in tech. It's amazing. And you'll care about leadership. And I think having that informal support network of people that you can hang out with, people that you can engage with, have engaging hobbies, provides you with something that you lose as you build, come up the career ladder. The key thing here is to remember that your life has changed and therefore your relationships will change too. As always, let's finish up with a mindset piece. Being lonely at the top is not inevitable, but it is about shifting to a new mode of support and friendships. What you started with isn't going to work for you in the long term. Who you were when you were 20 is not who you are today. If you hold on to needing the support and relationships you had earlier in your career, you will feel lonely because you're focused on what you don't have instead of what you do have. My coach calls that focusing on the gap, not the gain. And it's so easy. We all do this. We all look with rose-tinted glasses. Oh, it was so cool when I was 22 and all these things were right in the world. Believe me, when you were 22, there was a lot of things that were wrong in the world. If you're 22 and listening to the show, by the way, I applaud you. Instead of focusing on a new way of operating, where you can get support, where you do have love and friendship in your life, it's just that those things have evolved. In many respects, this is closely tied to our executive presence. Just take a moment to recognize that you have what you have. Take a moment to ask yourself, is this the right person to share this with today? It can go a very long way. It requires that constant self-awareness that is the key to executive presence as well as the ability to hold off needing that dopamine hit of sharing something right here, right now, and instead of waiting until a more appropriate individual is with you. Core skills in executive presence are going to help you in every aspect of your life. And yet, ones we never taught in school, which blows my mind, I reckon executive presence, or at least the underpinning skills, should be taught in school because I think it makes life easier and more pleasant and more empathetic. That's it. It's a complete sign note. So just to wrap up that mindset moment, remember, it doesn't have to be lonely, but it does have to evolve. 
That's it for today's episode. I hope you find yourself a little bit less lonely at the top than you were at the beginning of this episode, if that's you. But as we wrap up, remember that leadership is filled with twists and with turns. That feeling of loneliness at the top is a challenge, but there are actionable steps that you can take to overcome. Seeking out those peer networks, prioritizing self-care, embracing your hobbies, being more mindful of what you do and who you say things to. But before we part ways, do remember, please hit subscribe in your preferred podcast platform on YouTube. Stay connected with us. Drop me a note on LinkedIn if you have a topic you would love me to be diving into. And remember, we also have a thriving Leading Women in Texas community on Slack. Details are in the show notes. Please do come and join us. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.